Hello and welcome to this episode of Eldrick Talks. Today I'm talking with author Patrick Dugan about his love for 3D printing, why it took him seven years to write his first book and his stance on AI tools like ChatGPT. Hi Patrick, how are you doing today? Hey Eldrick, I'm doing really good. Thanks for having me on. So this is probably going to be one of the geekiest episodes so far. In your Twitter bio you write technologist, gamer, 3D printer, DIYer and all-around geek. Where do you yeah, where do you find the time with all of that to then even like write a write a book or a couple of books? Um, so uh, you know I work a day job, but um, in the evenings and weekends I tend to do um, all my geekery. So um, I write from seven to nine every night, pretty much. Um, so weekends is when I kind of do. Um, I work in my wood shop or, you know, I'll tinker with my 3D printers, so on and so forth. Um, the nice part about 3D printing as a hobby is that, you know, you start the printer and let it run for, you know, however many hours and go back and it's done. So um, it's not as time intensive as, as a lot of other hobbies. But it's probably still time intensive to do you do, do you do the models yourself? Do you research them? Um, I usually so I do some modeling myself. Um, Mostly what I, I got a 3D printer to start with because I wanted to do um, pieces for my wood shop. So I wanted to do jigs and, you know, um, like I do adapters for hoses to different tools and stuff. So I started designing that and those are fairly simple uh, models. A lot of times I'll do um, custom prints for people that are a lot more intensive or at conventions I sell. Um, MacGyver's um, articulating dragons. So those he does, and I have a license agreement with him. So I pay him um, monthly to put the license, and then I just print them and sell them at conventions. So a lot of it is um, is pre-done for me. Um, the stuff that I do tends to be fairly straightforward. So I usually can model up what I need within 15 to 20 minutes and get it uh, ready to go onto the printers. And I have four printers now, so I have one that I just use to prototype on, so because it's the fastest one, and so I work. That's kind of how I work on that. And on your Instagram page, you posted a few pictures of those, right? Yeah, I've got a lot of different stuff. Um, I got a new bamboo carbon X1, and so it can do four colors at once. So that's been a lot of fun. So I, um, my best friend has a thing for gnomes. He, he writes gnome books. And so I did a little Viking for him with a helmet that's silver and silver armor. And then it's got um, black boots and black horns and a red beard and a you know, tan nose. So it's really cute. Um, it's a lot of fun. So um, stuff like that just you know, makes people happy. And it's, you know, it's just fun to do. It's nice to have kind of a creative outlet that actually gives you a tangible product at the end. You're writing books and, you know, I write code for a living so you don't get a lot of tangible stuff you've got a lot of virtual stuff until you actually get the book in your hand as a printed copy so it's nice to have a hobby that you know when you're done with the hobby you've got something yeah when did you start uh, 3d printing uh 2019 so not too long ago no i got it right before uh the pandemic started so <laughs> i had lots of time to to uh sit around and tinker with it You said that you are writing two hours every day. Yes. Did that? I try to. 
did that did that come naturally or was that something that at some point you realized it might be a better idea to have a set routine um it really became kind of critical once i started um, publishing on a regular basis because you know before i got my first book deal i wrote when i felt like it so you know you know i would spend a couple hours a week kind of tinkering with stuff which ended up going nowhere uh, when i finally sat down and got my schedule together then i started actually being able to produce books on a fairly regular basis so um and it just in you know my wife and my kids know that it's kind of like eh, seven to nine unless it's an emergency they just they know i've gone into my office and i uh, go in sometimes you know i'm writing actual writing a book sometimes i'm editing sometimes i'm doing social media you know there's a lot that goes into being an author so you know you need that time and so but i try to do at least an hour and a half a night of writing and then 30 minutes of writing adjacent stuff is usually hell i usually sit down i'll write until like 8 30 or so and then i will do whatever i need to for the next day you know make sure i have you know ads ready or you know, I've answered emails for from editors or publishers or whatever I need to. And then um, I call it a night, um, you know, and I go hang out with my wife and you know, we watch you know, TV for a little bit before it's bedtime. During those two hours, do you have a set goal of what you want to write? Is it, is it a word goal or a certain scene? Or is it just that you basically lock yourself in your little writer cabin and just force yourself to write whatever comes to your mind um so usually you know when i'm in a project um i'm just i write sequentially so i am just working on whatever the next chapter is um and usually i don't really um i'm not a planner when i write so it's usually seat of the pants kind of stuff so i i'll start off and i'll read what i wrote yesterday and a lot of times what I'll do is I'll stop mid chapter where I know right what's got to happen, because that way, when um, I pick up the next day, I'm already back into the into the scene. So I'm not because a lot of times I found that if I if I finish the chapter and then stop for the night, the next day, I'm like, oh, where was I going with this? So if I even if I just do, you know, so if I finish a chapter, I'll write you know, four or five paragraphs in the next chapter to leave like a live edge for me to pick up tomorrow. Cause I'm like, okay, mm. I know right where I was, you know, I know what I was working on and now I'm just continuing on. So I try to do that every once in a while, I'll get to a stopping point, you know, at the end of a chapter and be like, I'm not sure what needs to happen next. And that's fine because that gives me 24 hours or 22 hours to, um, to kind of kick it around and decide, you know, what needs to happen next in the story. And how much, how much uh, do, do you manage to write in those two hours usually, word-wise? Um, I can usually do, depending on what kind of scene it is, I usually do 1,000 to 2,000 words. And then, you know, periodically I will, you know, if I get, when I'm getting, my wife calls it kind of the, the book hump. I, you know, so I'll, I'll be writing and writing and writing and writing and writing and then, I get to about the three quarters mark and then, you know, she'll be like, you're almost done. Right. And she's like, I'm like, yeah. And she says, yeah, just go. And I'll just write from the time I stop work till the time I go to bed for however long until I get the book done. 
And then I take a couple extra days off in between because um, you've got to let it kind of sit so you can kind of read back through it. But mm-hmm. a lot of times I'll just, or if she's traveling a lot, when our son is in college and she travels, I tend to just from the time I finish work till the time I go to bed at two o'clock in the morning or whenever I stay up till, um, I'll just write straight through. So she was gone for a week and I, I ended up writing like, 30,000 words while she was gone. So and then I slept for about a month. <laughs> <laughs> and when you, when you have these, these set times of two hours a day, I would imagine that there are times where you sit there and you just don't know how to, how to write a scene, how to write a chapter. And yeah, uh, yeah. How, in those moments, how hard is it for you not to get distracted and maybe just end up watching a couple of YouTube videos instead of writing? Very. <laughs> um, the the thing is, is that um, the one thing I've kind of learned about myself and just writing in general is that, you know, a lot of people talk about writing as a, you know, the muse strikes or, you know, I have to have inspiration to write. But really what it is, if you look at all the really successful authors, it's a job. So normally what I do is I come in and I have three monitors set up and I have one that's all my book notes. I have one that's my um, reading pane, you know, where I'm writing. And then I'll have another browser up for research if I need it. And I usually work that way, but I usually shut everything else off. So I shut off my email, I mute my phone. And so I only allow myself to use that stuff. Um, What really just... will distract you is when you know um when i was writing darkest storm series there's a lot of military components to it and so i was having to research guns you know and so then it's like how many you know how many bullets will hold in this chamber how many you know what's the fire rate on this and then you start digging in and then you're like oh that's cool oh maybe i should do and all of a sudden you're two hours in and you're like Uh. yeah i just researched guns you know (laughs) meanwhile homeland security is knocking on the front door (laughs) Exactly. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, just writing a book. So the research will get you every time. Yeah, I mean that. It sounds like a really good setup with these three monitors, but you, you probably didn't start with that. Like, like you probably started a very different way, right? When you first said, yes. "Okay, I want to, I want to write a book." Yeah. So you know, when I started, I just had Word. You know, I tinkered. You know, I wrote a chapter. You know, then I would go back and read the chapter, and then I hate the chapter and then rewrite the chapter and um you know the the big thing is is you know i i've gone to the point where now i use scrivener which is um a word processing tool but it's specifically made for uh, people who are writing um mostly fiction but they've added nonfiction pieces to it as well and so i started so that was my first big thing was um switching over to scrivener helped a lot and it has like a bulletin board layout so you can put text cards on it so that you can move stuff around easily and so i found that to be really helpful and then um, i moved all my book bible stuff over to evernote which really helped because then my editor now and i share the the book bible and so we can keep track when you're doing series you know, it's hard to remember what happened, you know, when you're on book three, what happened in book one is a blur. And so given that, you know, so I started building out all, anytime I, when I'm writing, I usually have Evernote up 
And so if I'm writing about a character and I say, oh, she's got green eyes, at the end of the session, I'll pivot over and I'll write, go back through and write down all the details of anything that I put in. Um, I also keep like um, art that I want to use as far as like um, in the book that I'm getting ready to release in a couple weeks, there is a giant temple out in the middle of um, the wilderness. And so I had found this really cool picture. So I have that on there because I'll pull that up when I was writing the scenes so that I could kind of keep that feel in mind of, you know, like it's this misty, creepy, you know, dilapidated temple out in the middle of nowhere. And so I can, you know, I just look at it and it kind of be like, okay, I need to, you know, kind of keep thinking about it this way. And so that works works really well for me. Um, it also keeps me a lot more organized. So I'm not having to try to pull stuff together at the end um, to go back through and um, try to update the Bible you know, all in one shot. But Scrivener doesn't have cloud support, right? No, um, what I do is I have all my files in Dropbox mm. um, so that I can access it from anywhere. And a lot of times, if I'm, like, stuck someplace, and this is really sad, but I'll pull up the, um, I'll pull up Evernote on my phone. And so, like, I'm stuck at, you know, like the DMV, you know, Department mm. of Motor Vehicles. You know, I will literally pull up a, just a blank thing and I'll start typing chapters on my phone while I'm stuck. Mm. Um, and then I just copy and paste into Scrivener when I'm done. Um, I just, I really like the flexibility. And then I use Pro Writing Aid is, um, it seamlessly integrates with um, Scrivener so I can run through and that's how you get rid of overused words, catch all your spelling errors. All that stuff, it goes, it's actually pretty good at it for cleaning up your work. Um, it doesn't replace an editor by any stretch of the imagination, uh, but it at least gets it 90% clean. Now, you know, the the difference is, is that Scrivener or Grammarly or ProWriting Aid can point out what it thinks are the problems, but it won't, it can't tell you like gaps in your story. Um, it can only tell you like you misspelled this word. Have you also tried using something like ChatGPT to get some editing feedback? No, um, I don't. So I work in technology. Um, the easiest way for you to train a computer on how to write like you is to put it in to have them to have it scanned. Hmm. Um, and so I don't want to um, use the tool uh, because I don't want it. Because once you put it in, it becomes just another data point in in their data lake and so i don't want that and i don't if somebody i don't know why they would but if somebody goes in and says oh, write a short story like patrick dugan i don't want mm -hmm. chat gtp to go oh yeah i have all this stuff by him so mm -hmm. um and i realize you know it's it's another tool um i use it for other things like um ideas for social media posts or um, ideas for, you know, like, you know, different projects I'm working on or things like that, you know, sometimes, you know, or, you know, stupid stuff like I need a name that sounds elvish. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It'll, it'll pop stuff out like that, but I don't, I don't, you know, trying to get the chat GTP to edit your work is, you know, marginal at best, dangerous at worst. So I just kind of stay away from it. What's, what's your general stance on, on ChatGPT and, and similar models? Is it the end of literature as we know it or a great tool that makes authors uh, more productive? Um, somewhere in the middle. Uh, so when 
uh, Photoshop came out, uh, everybody was screaming that it was going to destroy art, and it just became another tool. So, you know, digital art is everywhere, but nobody's screaming that it's ruined art. It just is a different form of art. Um, with, you know, chat GTP or MidJourney or any of those things that are generative, basically they're just aggregating up everybody else's work, um, which is stealing. Hmm. You know, call it what it is. Um, so, you know, when you're doing things like um, asking for social media posts and it's scrolling the internet, it's basically aggregating that data together. So it's not creating something new, it's just giving you a faster way to aggregate data. So I don't think, I think that's really super handy because you're not stealing anybody else's work. When you start getting into creative endeavors, however, um, if you put in, I want to write like Terry Pratchett, it's basically taking Terry Pratchett's work and and basically generating a version of Terry Pratchett's work. And, you know, that is basically stealing in my, in my opinion, you know, I know that a lot of other people don't feel that way. Uh, that's just how I look at it. So, um, I, you know, for creative use, I don't think it's, it's a good thing. And I think, um, it's still Clark's world finally shut down to, um, submissions because they had such a problem with people writing short stories in chat GTP and turning them in. Mm. And, you know, the thing is, is that AI is great for doing menial repetitive tasks really well. The problem is, is with art of any sort is that, you know, the computer is never going to bring your personal experiences into your work. So, you know, the, the things that you've gone through as a child, you know, marriage, having your own children, you know, loss, you know, grief, all those things, it does not know. It cannot experience those. And so it cannot build in to the work, those type things. It can mimic it, but it can't actually generate a true experience. And I think that is why, you know, people want art is to, is that connection, that feeling when you read a great book, and you want to cry at the end because you feel like your best friends are leaving you, you know, that is something that is generated from an author in, a, you know, however long they've been alive and their experiences, they have, you know, part, you know, you basically bleed on the page. And that is what people respond to is that they feel what you're feeling. And that's mm. what art does is, is catharsis. And it's also probably the, the therapeutic part for the person who creates the art. Yes, and yes, most most writers I would think would agree with that is that um, it is definitely a form of therapy. Um, it was my first book. I was um, going through a divorce when I was writing it, and my editor said, "Do you ever feel like you're just putting your life on the page?" And I said, "No, it has nothing to do with my life." And she's <laughs> like, "Oh." So you're telling me that the controlling trapped person <laughs> has nothing to do with your personal life. And I was like, okay, maybe a little. <laughs> so, um, but, you know, I think that's what gives you authenticity. And I think that's why you find, you know, and there are exceptions to every rule. So I am not saying age has anything to do with writing um, prowess. It, But I think you find a lot of, authors really hit their stride in their late 30s, early 40s, because they have had enough life experience that, mm -hmm. you know, that they're bringing that to the table. You know, now, Christopher Pellini, you know, was, you know, 
16 when he wrote Aragon. So, mm-hmm. you know, there are always there are always exceptions to the rules. But I think if you look at most, you know, newer authors, they tend to skew a little older. Yeah, I mean, with Christopher Paulini, the situation was also that I think his both parents were publishers. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah it doesn't hurt. <laughs> Do you, did you know that you were going to become an author when you were a child? Um, I wrote constantly as a child. Um, and I was always making up stories and, you know, which, you know, teachers didn't particularly like because I'd start telling wild stories about, you know, that came out of my imagination. Um, when I was in college, um, I took, a, I was really considering being an author. And then I took a class with a teacher that I really, really respected in uh, creative writing. And he basically told me at the end that I had no talent and I should never write another story. <laughs> and unfortunately Ouch. I listened to him. And so uh-huh. I, I stopped writing for a long time, but um, you know, the thing is, is I was always working on something. It, I would be writing short stories or I would be writing, you know, but I wasn't, I wasn't trying to, because every time I'd get into it, all I'd hear is, you're a failure, you're never going to do it. And so I, you know, I'd start writing it. And this first time I saw something and went, oh, that's awful. Instead of fixing it, I just, you know, threw it out. So it just, it took me a long time to kind of come to grips with the fact that, you know, yes, you know, I can actually write. And, um, and then, you know, it took years of practice and, Uh, rejection letters. I started off doing short stories. Um, My problem is that my short stories, my ideas tend to be like, oh, I could put this into a 3,000 word story or I can write a 16 book series out of it. And so um, it always would run long. And so I just finally one day I just said, you know what, I'm either going to write a book or I'm not going to write a book and I'm going to be done with this. Um, one way or the other. And so I wrote my first book, Stormforge, which was the first book I had written start to finish. And um, I had given it to who became John Hartness, who ended up publishing Stormforge. He was a self-pub author at the time. And he read it and he was like, oh my God, this is fantastic. And I was like, really? And so um, it ended up that um, I shopped it for years. And then um, John had started Falstaff Press here in Charlotte. And so he published the first three books in the uh, Dark Storm series. But that moment, the moment when somebody that you really respect tells you that you have no talent and you shouldn't be a writer, that must be a, that must be a horrible situation. Oh yeah, it, it was soul crushing because that's, and I was literally to the point where I was changing my major because I have a biology degree and I was like, you know, this is re- what I really want to do. This is my dream. I'm going to, you know, chase it. And then this guy who had been published you know, all over the place and was really well respected. It's like, you have no talent. And I was like, uh, and that was just, and I was like, well, I good at you know, math and science. So I'll just go over here and do that. You know, I, I really wish I could go back and, you know, punch him <laughs> you know, and tell myself, like, don't listen to this guy. He doesn't know what the hell he's talking about because it wasn't that I was a bad writer. What it was is that I was an untrained writer. Mm-hmm. And had he said like, okay, so if you really want to do this, it's going to be a lot of work. I would have dove in, but to be told you're a failure at it, it's, you know, who wants to do something that you're terrible at? So mm-hmm. it was, it was just really, it was a poor, 
I don't, I don't understand why you would ever tell anybody that, you know, when I talk with new authors at conventions and stuff, I never would say to them, oh, well, even if I read their stuff and it was horrific, I would not say like, oh, this is terrible. I'd be like, you need an editor. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, because, you know, it's just, it's not fair to tell anybody that they're a failure, you know, off of, you know, one semester's worth of work. And, you know, the thing is, is that the first book everybody writes is usually garbage. And so, you know, I have two or three books sitting someplace on a hard drive that I never finished. But when I went back and read them, I'm like, oh, there isn't even anything to salvage here. But um, that was the groundwork for what I do now, which is I write really, I think, very good, very entertaining books. And so, but had I not written all those bad books, I wouldn't have gotten to the good books. Yeah. If you, if you would have not found the motivation to, to try it again after, after this kind of rejection, how did you, how did you even, how did you manage to, to, to save yourself from, from that hole? After a person you, that you respect so much tells you that this isn't for you and you shouldn't try this. What, what, what happens inside you that at some point you, Did you say, did you think to yourself, oh my God, he has no idea what he's talking about? Did you think I'm going to prove him wrong? No, it was more of, I just love to do it. And so I think what it finally came down to was, well, I'm just going to do this just for myself. And I'm just going to, I love to write. So I'm just going to write stories. And for a long time, I never even sent them out. I just wrote them, you know, and like, you know, a couple of my friends would read them and they'd be like, oh, you know, it's not too bad. And they'd be like, yeah, I'm just messing around with it. And, you know, and after a while, I was just like, you know, when I had written a couple things I thought were actually pretty good, then I was like, maybe I should just submit this. And I got, you know, from a couple of really well-respected editors are like, hey, you know, you're on the right track. Just keep going. And I was like, wait a minute, you know, and they didn't take the stories um, and short stories are not my, they're really not my cup of tea, but, you know, getting even that feedback from professional editors that were like, we're not going to take this, but it's a good story. What you need to do is these things. That was incredibly helpful. And so at that point, I realized anytime that an editor takes time to personally respond to your work means that you are worth, they think you are worth the effort. Wow. Uh, so, you know, a lot of these editors getting hundreds of stories a week. And so, you know, for them to say, you know, I don't, I don't think this is a good fit for us, but hey, it's a good story. Keep it up is is huge. And so after I had a handful of those, then I was like, well, maybe I can write. And that's when I started. Um, but I said, I was like, well, I want to write a book. And so that's why I finally just sat down and, and just wrote Darkest Storm. Now it took me seven years to write it, you know, because I wasn't disciplined and I was, you know, I would have moments of doubt, but I just... Finally, um, I just kind of kept going at it. What, did, then, um, what did you okay. not like about short stories? So short stories, every single solitary word has to advance the story. And in theory, same thing with novels. Um, my problem is that I like to weave too many elements together. Um, so I want, you know, so with a short story, you tend to have a single arc. In a novel, you have you know, a series arc, if you're doing a series, you have a book arc, you have a, you know, you have arcs 
for your main character, you have arcs for your, you know, secondary characters. So there's all these things that you're kind of intertwining together. And that's how my brain kind of works. So doing short stories, you have to be really, really, you know, condense those things down. And you have to strip out a lot of the stuff that the stuff that I would write if I was writing in a book doesn't fit in a short story. And so that just really, I've written some short stories that have, have actually been pretty good. And so, it, but I much prefer long form where I can just unleash everything and kind of work it into this kind of tapestry of this, of this world in the story. Um, I found that I've gotten much better with short stories now that I have book series that I can write in, mm. if that makes any sense. Yeah. yeah. And how many years were between, uh, let's say, between the seven-year struggle of writing your first book and that stupid professor who told you you shouldn't do it? Uh, let's see. I was 20 when he told me that. So, yeah, probably 22 years, 23 years. And that's like 22 years of, of you never really letting it go. Of at least trying a short story here and there? I did. Uh, you know, probably after, once I finished graduate school and I actually had a day job, then I started writing short stories again just because I wanted to, um, with no thought that I would ever do anything with them. Um, so it wasn't until um, much later that I decided to, I had written three partial novels that kind of were just a mess. Um, and, but, you know, the thing is, is that when I, you know, finally decided that I was going to write a novel, the first thing I did was, um, they have online writer courses at Gotham. And so I actually signed up and took four or five how to write classes, um, in spec, spec fiction, um, so that I could at least, because I realized I was just spinning in place because I didn't know, I had no tools to, to help me be a better writer. And so what I started doing was taking those classes and those teachers are all professional writers um, or editors. So they actually, their feedback was much more useful. And really, you know, I had a couple of the teachers, you know, take, you know, email me and say, hey, you know, your stuff is getting so much better just in this class. I can't, you know, you're doing a really good job. Keep it up. And I was like, okay. And so that, you know, because I think the misconception is, is that, you know, people are just born writers and they're not, mm. it's, you know, there are some people who are, have a, who are more wired towards being a writer than not, but it is a skill that anybody can learn. Mm. Um, you know, I don't think, you know, I think Stephen King, for example, has a knack for writing stories. He just knows what a good story is. And he just, he just does that. Um, but, you know, his stuff still goes through editors, you know, he still has, you know, spots that he's like, yeah, I shouldn't have done that. I should have done this, you know, it, so it's, you know, it, but nobody just sits down and, and knocks out, you know, misery in an afternoon because they're like, yeah, you know, um, so taking the classes really, and all it did was just put better tools in my toolbox. Um, but what, what, then, what was it? What was it that, that the first that you had that it was such a mess and what was it that that you learned in those classes so i was trying to kind of hard to explain so 
in my early books, a lot of it was, you know, most authors start off with wish fulfillment, right? Especially if the, you know, when you're like teenager and you're writing stories for the first time. So, you know, and so taking these ideas that and a lot of times they're just not great ideas. And then you add not being able to execute well on them and it just turns into a mess. And so I wasn't, you know, my characters were all one dimensional. My scenes were flat. The dialogue sounded like, you know, robots talking. Um, because I had, you know, I'd learned to write in science. So, you know, everything I wrote was in formal, you know, formal speech. Right. So my first editor for Darkest Storm was like, people actually use contractions, you know, <laughs> but in, in scientific writing, that's a no, no. So, yeah. you know, all my stuff was like basically a, a fiction essay. <laughs> Cause you know, that's how I wrote was very formal, very, mm. you know, stagnant. And so what I learned when I started doing the classes was you have to loosen up and you have to write not don't write from how you think you should write. It's, right from you know how you are and you know it's messy it's you know people are you know complex and things don't always go well so you know you have to kind of be okay with incorporating stuff that you know because my stories would go a to z you know hmm. no 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 nothing it was just you know and it was a straight line shot and it's like this happens this happens this happens <laughs> you know no interest no good dialogue, no, you know, there was no reason to read them. And when I started working with the teachers and start understanding, like, no, these are, you have to treat it like you are detailing a real person. And so like, yes, they get mad. Yes, they have breakdowns, you know, they're going to make mistakes. They're going to say stupid stuff. You know, you just have to be like, yes, these are real people. I need to write them as real people and not as just cardboard cutouts to get me to the end of the story. So, um, mm -hmm. so a lot of that was, and I, you know, I also took classes like, um, with mystery authors and with, you know, romance authors and stuff, which I will never write romance. I will save the world <laughs> that, um, but it, but it was really, you know, each genre has its own little thing that they do super well. Like mysteries tend to be really fast paced page turners. Mm -hmm. And so in one of the things that, um, in my newer books that I do a lot more of is I use shorter chapters because it makes you feel like you're flying through the book. Mm. So if you've got, you know, 1500 word chapters or a thousand word chapters, you know, those chapters are flying by. So if you sit down and you read for an hour and you finish 10 chapters, you're like, God, this book's just flying by. Where, you know, if you sat down and read for four hours and read two chapters, you're like, Oh, this book's so long. And so, you know, there's little things you can grab from all the different genres um, and kind of try to incorporate, like, what do they do well over here? What do, you know, the, the emotional, you know, piece comes straight out of my romance class. It's like, you have mm -hmm. to be able to detail that. So it's just a lot of, um, I learned a lot of different skills and then kind of played around until I found kind of what works for me and my style. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, romance is getting more and more popular for men too. I think it's about 20%. Uh, men who are reading novel uh, romance novels yep. right now so it's believe me uh, if i could write romance well i would because it sells like crazy oh yes <laughs>
And do you also have like, you know, the classical thing of uh, a cliffhanger at every uh, chapter and yeah um so one of the things i've kind of known for is i do i think a pretty good job my editor always loves the endings i always leave it right where you're like oh i need to go read the next chapter huh. because you know that's how you keep people engaged in the book it's like oh i want to And I've had more than one people come up to me at conventions and be like, you owe me like three nights sleep. And I'm like, sorry. <laughs> They're like, literally, you can't put the book down. And so, um, but I think that's just something you learn over time is, you know, you want, you know, it's kind of like you when you're doing a job interview, you don't want to give them a reason to say no to you. It's the same thing with when you're writing, you want to leave each chapter at the end where they're like, well, I can't stop here. Uh-huh. I need to know what happens. And so that keeps people engaged and wanting to read and it makes the book go by faster. And then they are like, wow, that was a great book. I want the next one. And it probably also helps when writing it, right? To, to mm-hmm. never really have these, these isolated events that end. And then this one is done and you have to start a completely new one, but to kind of stay in a flow when writing it. Yeah. And that's, and that's why I like to, um, You know, I know a lot of people are heavy duty outliners and planners and I try, but it just doesn't work for me. And the thing is, is that the best moments in most of my books were things that I literally came up with, you know, when I was in the middle of the chapter, you know, and I'm, I was working, I'm like, oh, wait a minute, no, they should do this instead. And I take off with it. And that I think because it surprises me. So if I didn't see it coming, I guarantee you didn't see it coming. And so, um, and, and I think that just makes, you know, in, it can be chaotic. And I know a lot of people who don't outline beforehand have problems with, they end up like off in left field, running around in circles, not knowing where they're going. But for whatever reason, I usually write straight through, uh, start to finish and it's usually pretty much when I'm done with the first draft, that's pretty much the final layout of the book. There's been a couple where we've gone back and added chapters just to be like, oh, we need a little more detailing here or here. But that's not even very common. Usually, um, I just I just kind of have my own internal how a story works, and I just kind of follow that, and it leads me to, to finish books. So um, I try not to mess with it too much. Your first book is Stormforged from the Darkest Storm series, right? Correct. And that took you seven years. Was that seven years for seven. for the first draft or seven years start to finish until it's on the shelves? Uh, that seven years was start to finish. Um, so I started writing it and I was probably three years into it, three, four years into it. And I um, went to meet Kevin Hearn at the local bookstore. Uh, he writes the Iron Druid series. Mm-hmm. And um, my friend John, who became my publisher, and I and a couple other people went downstairs. There's a great Irish bar um, underneath the bookstore. And so we went down there and we were hanging out. And he said, so what are you writing? And I told him and he said, why isn't the book done? I'm like, well, I've got kids and I've this and this. He's like, he's like, nope, those are excuses. Why isn't the book done? I said, 
because I haven't finished it yet. And he said, exactly. He's like, put your butt in the chair and finish the book. And three months later, I had a finished book. And it was just, but it, it was that kind of kick in the pants of, you know, if you're actually going to do this, you need to actually, and that's when I kind of started the okay. seven to nine um, routine. But it took, the first draft probably took three and a half to four years to write. Um, book two in the series took me about five months to write. And book three took me two months because um, there was a miscommunication. And I thought I had five months and I had two. So, oh. <laughs> so I wrote really fast. Um, but I'm actually, I, I'm a fairly fast writer anyhow. Um, so but it was, that one was like, oof. Um, so, but you know, it, it was funny because when I signed the contract, he said, can you do two more books? And I was like, yes, I think possibly. <laughs> and so, you know, I was like, well, I did it once. And I think once you finish a novel, um, you have, the, you, you kind of know that you can do it. So then I think what trips a lot of authors up on their second book, especially if they were successful, is they get in their own heads about maybe it was a one hit wonder, no. you know, that, that, you know, I had this great book and now I'm never going to produce anything else. Um, mm -hmm. and luckily I didn't have time to worry about it because I it was, <laughs> I had to have a book in each year. So it was like, you know, finish editing the first one and then jump into writing the second one. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have time to sit around and wonder if I, if I was going to be able to do it. I was just like, this book is due in five months. I need to go. And so just kind of tore through it. It's kind of like a situation of the actor being in the audition and then being asked, well, are you familiar with horse riding? Know, of course, of course. And in, in reality, never been close to a horse. Yep. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I'll figure it out on the way. <laughs> I mean, it's not that complicated to get on a horse, right? Yeah. All I got to do is sit. How hard is it to sit? Yeah, that, that could go badly. Oh, that's funny. So after after seven years, you are, or let's say after, how, how long did it take you to, to have a finished manuscript for Stormfort? Um, so I shopped it for two years, um, and then I gave it to... Falstaff had had been created, so I was the fourth book they signed. And so um, then we did, it was a, you know, I was a brand new author and I had a brand new editor. So we, it took a long, it was probably six months in edits hmm. just because it was going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. It, it was, yeah, it was about six months in edits. And then, you know, we did copy edits and then we did proofreading and It came out in May of 2018. So it took a little over, I would say about 14 months from the time I sold the book till the time it was out. And what, what made you, what made you go with fall stuff? Um, mostly I had been shopping the book for a couple of years. Um, and self-publishing was still fairly new. And the owner of Falstaff was a friend of mine. And, you know, I knew that he was above board on everything. And so he just, and he, I knew he had faith in the book. Um, he, he was the first person outside my family to read it. And he really believed in the book. He, he thought, told me he thought it could be the next Harry Potter. And I just, you know, we were just at dinner one night and I was just like, you know, I'm done. I'm like, I'm, 
you know, I put all this time and energy into this book and nobody wants it. And it, you know, it must be that it's not good. And he's like, no, it's good. He's like, it's finding a home for it. And that's hard. And so, um, he's like, just get, he's like, if you're going to, if you're not going to publish it, then give it to me and I'll publish it. And I was like, okay. And I figured it'd go nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and it actually, uh, won the Imaginarium Award for best sci-fi of the year it came out for an indie press. You know, believe me, I was probably the most shocked person around. And, but it was just that kind of, you know, and I'm, I had other options, but at the time I was just so frustrated. I was like, sure, take it. You know, because I figured, you know, we'd, it, we'd publish it and, you know, and it would go nowhere. And then, um, you know, I would either write, in, you know, I'd finish the book series and then, you know, I'd stop or I'd continue depending on how I felt at the time. But, you know, during the pandemic, I was sitting with my wife doing puzzles because that's how we spent a lot of the pandemic. <laughs> and my phone chirped and Sean McGuire, <laughs> Twitter said, Sean McGuire tweeted about you. And I'm like, yeah, right. <laughs> And so um, I pull up my phone and there's 10 tweets from Shauna McGuire saying how much she loved Stormforge and how it was one of the best superhero books she'd ever read. And I was like, what? <laughs> so, um, wow. so it was really nice. I mean, it, um, it, was, it was just a really, it was an odd way to get there, but, it, you know, I got there. And so now I'm, um, I'm up to, I'll have book number nine out this month and how did it feel like after all those after all those years working on the book making it what you know it can be and then not only is it not published but then you see that you sell your first that you sell your first copy what was what was that moment like oh it, it it's kind of surreal just getting the book in print and seeing the cover and being like i wrote this having the first person be like wow that sounds amazing i want to read that was like you do <laughs> it's a, it's just it's a really you know and, and the thing is is the best part about being an author is really the interaction you have with your fans you know i've had people come up to me and just been like oh my god this is my favorite book of all time and i'm like really you know mm-hmm. and it's just it's it's such a great feeling to know that you have touched somebody who you would never meet otherwise And that something that you wrote meant something to them. You know, even if it was just, it was an escape for a couple hours, you know, from their daily life. You know, so it's just, it's just been fantastic. And it's just so humbling to think that, you know, people actually spend their hard-earned money to buy stuff that I wrote and enjoy it. So it's, it's just, it's been a really amazing experience for me. That must also be a great motivation to actually sit down every day to know that that that's possible that there are actually people out there who who love what you do yeah it is and um i like doing the i do a lot of conventions in southeast um america and um i get people all the time coming up and being like oh my god i love this book i bought it last year from you and that's just really gratifying you know now you know it's like you you buy a book and it's like okay that's great but you come back year after year to buy new books. It's like, it's just fantastic. And I think you can do nothing as an author, but just appreciate the people who read your books, because that's the only reason you get to do what you get to do is that people want to read what you write. You also brought a little passage to read today. I did. So this is from um, 
Never Steal from Dragons. It's my newest book. It came out um, earlier in the spring. So it is a cyberpunk heist book set in the world of fairies. So the premise is that um, as humanity grew, the mythological creatures from around the world left to another dimension. Um, and they're all living there and they have a high tech society and the dragons rule everything. And so the rule is never steal from dragons because, you know, they're vindictive. So mm -hmm. but I'm going to read just a little bit of the first chapter um, out of never steal from dragons. So it's it, Gelsey is the main character in this in, in this chapter. Chapter one, Gelsey. The first rule of hub is never steal from dragons. The second rule is, see rule number one. Galsy repeated this to herself, pushing her wings for every drop of speed as she dodged through the warehouse, avoiding targeted EMP blasts from the Clan Carolux guards below her. Granted, hitting a six centimeter flying target made aiming difficult. She swerved as a blast struck close by, causing her cybernetic wings to cut out. Galsy's stomach lurched as she fell, tumbling towards a stack of boxes and the shouting Kappa guards. She pulled her flechette pistol from the holster and fired a spray of micro darts at the closest guard. The Kappa, a meter of slimy, molted green reptile, ducked into its craggy shell. The darts grew as they flew, no longer affected by the magic that allowed pixies to shrink their possessions. The darts impacted the Kappa's back with a multitude of explosions. A large crack appeared in the shell as the target screamed in pain. One down. By design, the mechanical aeronautic restart on Kelsey's wings rebooted the software before she smashed into the boxes. The wings unfurled, swooping her out of the path of yet another blast. Amateurs. They should use something heavier than EMP cannons if they were trying to kill a pixie. Kelsey whizzed through two rafter supports and through a tangle of old spiderwebs. Landing softly, she wiped the webs off her goggles. She needed a moment to survey the room while the guards peered into the dim, dim recesses of the rafters for her. So that's the first page of Never Steal from Dragons. And that came out in spring this year? Yes, it came out this year. And that's the, that's the start of a completely new series? Yeah, so uh, it's called Pixie Punk is the series title. I should have another book out in the series probably next summer if all things go to plan. Do you already have a idea of how many books the series is going to be? With uh, Pixie, probably not. Um, I think what I'll do is I'm my target is three books. And I have three kind of um, laid out in my head already. But the, if demand is there and people still like it, then I'll probably continue to write books in the series. It's a, it's a really fun premise to work with and there's actually no humans in the book. So everybody is some form of mythological creature. So like one of my characters is a Kitsune whose tails, she, she's the nine tailed fox. And so her tails actually spin around her and turn her into whoever she's met. Mm -hmm. So she's the ultimate con artist. <laughs> so she can mimic anybody. So Kitsune in this world are killed on sight because nobody trusts them. Gelsey is my pixie thief. I have an, a Nagulan um, warrior whose name is Lorcan, who is based off of an Aztec uh, demigod, kind of half jaguar, half man. 
So there's lots of different world cultures built into the book. And so it kind of leaves me this whole unlimited palette to work with. Your first series, The Darkest Storm, that's three books. And then that's three books. And then after that, you had the your steampunk series. Yep. The Watchers of Hysteria. Um, so there's four books in that series. Um, one is Fate and Flux, which is the origin story for Quinn, who's the main character in the series. And then the next three of Cogs and Conjuring, Pistols and Potions, and Machines and Monsters follow um, Quinn and Victoria, who's an alchemist, and Brule, who's a hunter. And they're trying to stop um, a cult from raising a dead god. But these series are not sealed shut at this point they're open for for new books right yes the only one that i'm not writing anymore in um is darkest storm um and that's because it's through fall staff books and i i got to the point where when i i had nine books kind of mapped out um for the series but you know when i finished the third book um i felt like it ended really well and then i wanted to you know, write some other stuff, you know, so I was like, well, and I may go back to it at some point. Um, but right now I feel like the story wraps up so well. I'm like, I'm not sure I want to push more books onto it because I think it's really kind of perfect the way it is. So I left hooks to go back to it if I, if I change my mind later, you know, but sometimes, you know, I think the three book series worked and it's a great story and it's a, got a lot of really great moments in it and I feel like it ran its course and I just feel like I, as a writer I've kind of evolved um, my style so that if you know I had other things that I wanted to write uh, that were just more interesting to me at the time when I look at the, when I look at, at your work you have the darkest storm series you have your mm -hmm. uh, your watchers of Astaria series and now you have your pixie punk series and they're all very very different in a way is there maybe some kind of genre maybe other than romance that you are sure you would never write a series in um you know i hate to say never about anything um you know westerns you know steampunk is about as close as i would get to writing like a true western You know, I really like speculative fiction. So like doing, you know, like a murder mystery set in, you know, you know, contemporary America or something is just isn't really much of interest to me. Um, mm. My uh, next book that's coming out is um, the Shadow Blade series. I've got three novellas coming out August, September and October, and those are sword and sorcery books. And then uh, next year I have a book coming out called Welcome to the Cataclysm, which is the Nexus Witch series. So that's urban fantasy. So that's that's what's next, I think. And then I'm working on a book right now uh, that's um, is a actual murder mystery, but it's set in a fantasy world. You have some authors who, who write steampunk and then they only write steampunk, but that mm -hmm. would not be an option for you, right? Would you get Would you get bored by that? Or? Yeah, for me, it's really, I, there are a lot of stories I want to tell. And, you know, my kind of my goal is to establish the worlds that I want to write in. And then, you know, 
I because I can really drop two or three books a year. Um, I write pretty fast, and so for me, it's I don't want to just keep writing the same book over and over again, you know. And so, you know, I want to extend my series, but I want to keep fresh by, you know, moving around. So, you know, kind of my goal is for this year I've got Shadow Blades coming out, so it'll be August, September, October. Or thereabouts, I'll have those three novellas out. Next year, I have um, Welcome to the Cataclysm coming out, and it is um, the Nexus Witch series. So that is um, an urban fantasy. So that'll be out probably June, July next year. And then I'm thinking I will have my next book in Pixie out sometime after that. And then I will probably go back to... Um, either Shadow Blades or Watchers and write another another run through those and kind of rotate around so that I'm not... Because the one thing I don't want to do is just get stagnant to where you're writing the same series every time. And it's just, mm-hmm. you know, it's like rinse and repeat. You know, you know, you know, and a lot of... I feel like a lot of long-running series, um, you know, the authors kind of get bored, but it makes money so they keep working mm-hmm. in it. So... For me, I would rather, you know, write, you know, so I want to write another Pixie Punk book, but I want to make sure that I've had time away from Pixie Punk so it's not just, oh, here, I got to write another book in this. You know, it's more like when I get back to it, I'm like, it's like coming home again. It's like, yay, I get to go play with these guys. And then, you know, I finish that book and then it's like, now I'm going to go off and hang out with Saria and the group in, you know, Shadow Blades and go sword and sorcery. And I think that it just kind of, sharpens my skills because I'm not I'm always writing a different genre so I'm always kind of you know honing my skill level in different areas so that when I come back around to like you know Watchers of Hysteria I've had two or three other books where I've learned even more so you know the in theory each every time we you know go around the circle the books keep getting better and better is there some kind of series or some kind of story some kind of book that maybe you you want to write but don't feel quite ready yet um the one i really um loved and i still i honestly even at this point i don't know that i could pull off the book is that one of the first books i started writing was about a guy who had been in a car accident and it removed the filter in his brain that um filters out all the unreal things that um, kids see. Mm-hmm. So like the monster under the bed and the, you know, monster in the closet and, the, you know, and the best friend and all those things. And so he, after a really bad car accident, he realizes that like, you know, kids, their invisible best friends are actually real. And the monster under the bed is actually real. And he has to, he's, his daughter had been taken. And so he is trying, he has to use, this new navigate this whole new world you know and find his daughter before it's too late and so um it's just a really intense kind of um there's a lot of moving pieces to it with the story the way that it was coming together and even now i'm not sure that i'm ready to write that book but that sounds great it sounds really exciting yeah it and it, it was you know and one day i'll go back to it um 
you know, I, it's one of those stories that is just stuck with me for, you know, probably 15, 20 years. So um, at some point I will probably, you know, get the idea back out and dust it off and try again. Um, but I'm having a lot of fun writing the stuff I'm writing. So, um, you know, it's one of those kind of kicked my butt the first time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's kind of like, do I really want to jump back into that? You know, the thing is, is that you never know. And part of the nice part about owning my own press is that I can write what I want. So I'm not tied to, oh, well, we signed you for the series. So we want only you, we only want you to write the series. Um, so, you know, at some point, if somebody wanted to pay me a lot of money and just stick me with one series, I could do that. But, you know, while I'm, I'm the publisher, I'm just kind of writing the stuff I want. And it seems like, you know, and I think it's a double-edged sword because there are some readers who love the fact that I write all over the, you know, all over genre. So they're like, I never know what I'm going to get when I pick up your next book. And there are other people who are like, I only want Watchers of Staria. And so when I come out with a new book, they're like, I'm not interested. I want steampunk, you know. And so, you know, and there will be more steampunk. I actually, some lady posted on Goodreads that, um, I see Watchers of Hysteria is coming out as season one. I hope that means there's season two. <laughs> like, <laughs> it'll be season two at some point. You know, and when I'm doing conventions, it is actually really beneficial because if somebody comes up to the table and they say, you know, I say, what do you like to read? And they're like, well, I like, you know, urban fantasy. I'm like, well, I've got this or I've got this or I've got, you know, and so I've got lots of different things. Um, whereas, you know, if all you write is military science fiction and somebody comes up and like says, oh, I want fantasy. It's like, I don't, I don't write that. So sorry. Uh, um, you know, I don't think there's any one right way to do it. It's, but that seems to work for me. And I really enjoy just kind of playing around with these new ideas that I come up with and, and creating these characters that populate the world. Um, and it just keeps me excited about writing. So you know, puts my butt back in the chair every night at seven o'clock. <laughs> and that's a, that's a point that you mentioned that we kind of, that we didn't really talk about distracted dragon press. That's, that's your own, own press. Yes. So, um, yeah, so I started it, um, after darkest storm, I had gotten an agent and I shopped, um, pixie and I shopped, um, the Nexus witch book and got a lot of great feedback from a lot of big publishing companies and they all said no not for us and i just got to the point where it's like you know the reason that i write is because i want people to read what i write and you know the publishing cycle especially with the bigger presses is it takes years you know mm -hmm. so if you sign a book today you're probably not looking at seeing it in print for 18 months to two years and that's if they have a slot open for you that fast no and so um one of the things i wanted to do was i created distracted dragon and then i've signed a couple authors but um mostly it's people that um i know and i trust and that just want to do kind of what i do which is um they want to get their stuff out into the hands of people to read it and my wife runs educated dragon which is a non-fiction press um, and so she's got, um, she's in education. So she's got four or five books in the pipeline to start coming out this year or next year. 
And so, um, but it was, it was kind of like, I wanted to be able to help people like fall staff to help me at one point, you know, when I, you know, nobody would take a chance on my book, you know, he took a chance on it and it sold really well and it's won an award, you know, so it is definitely a viable path, but, you know, I'm building the press really slowly, um, just because, um, you know, getting books done well and out is expensive. And so, you know, we tend to take on one project at a time just because of the cost. And so, um, but, you know, when I put out a book, I know it's top notch. Um, I had a New York Times bestseller come over to my table at a con and I gave him a copy of my book and he said, who published this? And I'm like, oh, I published it under my own press. And he's like, really? He's like, I would have never guessed that. He's like, this book is beautiful. He's like, I can't get over how nice this is. He's like, this is as nice as any of the, the major presses do and better than a lot of them. I was like, well, thanks. And so um, it was so, you know, I, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it right. Um, and so that's what I've kind of taken on is like I try to make sure the books are as clean as possible, that they're enjoyable, that they're well formatted, that they're well you know, printed. Um, they've got great cover art. My um, little shout out to my cover designer, Natanya Barron, who's also a fantastic author, just not fair. Mm. Um, she does all my cover work and she's just, I say, okay, I want this. And then she sends it over and I go, oh my God, <laughs> that's even better than I thought. <laughs> and so, um, you know, it's, it, you get to work with a lot of really talented people and it's just a great experience. And, um, you know, but it, the thing is, is that a lot of small press in self-pub gets a bad rap because there are people who don't do it the right way. They don't oh. use an editor. They, you know, run it through Grammarly and then they publish it. Uh. And it's it's not good. And unfortunately, that, you know, weighs down everybody else who's trying to um, do it the right way. So you, it's a little bit of bias you have to work against um, a lot of times. But, you know, I, I'm really happy because I get to do you know, I don't have anybody setting rules for me. So, um, and you know, my books sell really well, so I'm pretty happy with the setup. Um, if somebody came along and said, Hey, we want you to publish through us, I'd, you know, as long as it, you know, was a good deal, I would take it up. But right now I'm just having a lot of fun doing my kind of doing my own thing. So, and I've got a couple of really good authors. Um, we have our first non we did a children's book through distracted writing called ew and um the author wrote it with her three-year-old and it's all about all the ways that he, he was trying to gross her out while they were on a trip and so um it's real it's really just it's a it's a such a cute book um you know but you know traditional publishers would never touch it you know so um but it's definitely worth the read it's it's such a cute book so um, and it just, you know, it feels good to give back to people, you know, um, you who aren't where I am, you know, there's always people ahead of you and there's always people behind you. So, you know, you try to learn from the people ahead of you and help the people behind you and everybody wins. So is that also the motivation for authors essentials? So authors essentials is, um, I work with my buddy, Jim Nettles and we teach, um, classes and how to, he does mostly business. I do more tech. So I teach 
how to use Scrivener, how to use all the, you know, I do um, classes on all the different writing tools you can find to help you, um, you know, stuff to help with your being more productive, um, you know, things that help you to organize your work better. So I teach a lot of those classes. He teaches more like IP law and um, marketing and that type stuff. So um, we kind of tag team. So a lot of uh, conventions that we do, we teach these classes for new authors so that they can learn um, because, you know, there's a million, um, there's a million things out there on how to write a book, but, you know, nobody really talks about those aspects. You know, because, you know, when you write the end, you know, and you've got your book in your hand, you're like, oh, my God. Now that's when the hard work starts because yeah. you've got to, you know, the way the market, you know, our book publishing is right now is the author is responsible for almost all the marketing. Even if you're going through a, a big five uh, publisher is that, you know, I've got a lot of friends who traditionally published for decades and the way things have changed, they're like, we get no budget now for anything. It's, um, you know, so all ads are on them. They're expected mm -hmm. to be out marketing their book and getting people to buy their books. And, you know, unless you're a Stephen King or J.K. Rawlings, you know, that's more of an uphill climb for a lot of people. So mm -hmm. we teach those classes, you know, to, you know, how to be, how to make better use of your time, how to market your books and to make sure that, um, there's so many predatory publishers out there who basically we were talking to one lady and she had spent $20,000 to get her first three books published. Mm -hmm. And, you know, authors never pay. Um, if yeah. somebody's publishing you, then they pay and you get royalties based on, or you get an advanced based on what the publisher thinks they can sell. Um, so if you're ever anybody listening, if you talk to a publisher and they say, Hey, we can publish you and it'll only be $5,000 to get your book out. It's a vanity press and run uh -huh. um, because a real publisher will never ask you for a dime. If you self publish, then you are acting as the publisher. So you are paying for an editor to edit the book. You're paying for a cover artist. You're paying for a proofreader. Those are you wearing the publisher hat, not paying somebody to publish you. So there's a, there's a difference in it. And a lot of people get caught up and they think, oh, well, I'm just paying them so that they give me editing and all this stuff all in one shot. But then they realize afterwards, a lot of these places write contracts that they own everything you write under your name forever. Yeah. And so, you know, you, you think you got a one book deal and all of a sudden you realize you can't write as you anymore, huh. you know, because because they basically said, you know, they get first right over refusal on anything you write and they take everything because you have to pay them. Yeah. So it's just, it's just a bad, it's a bad deal for everybody. It's sometimes, um, it's sometimes surprising that people even fall for that. But then again, it's probably, you know, authors who don't have any experience and it's mm -hmm. the first thing they see and they think, well, this is, this is how it is. This is normal. Yeah. And you know, like any con man, you know, they, it's, it's really difficult because they have their pitch down, mm. you know, so they, and, you know, the thing is, is that, you know, publishing is really hard and, you know, you have to have a really thick skin. You know, I, you know, I've been doing this for a few years and, you know, you know, never steal from dragons is sold great, but I went through 25 rejections 
from publishers and probably another, you know, 50 or 60 from agents, you know, because it just wasn't, you know, nobody thought they could sell the book, so they didn't want to represent it. And so um, when, after you've been doing this for a few years and somebody comes in and says, hey, give me $5,000 and I'll have it published for you in six months, you're thinking, well, that's a lot better deal than what I've been doing. And, you know, people get desperate. You know, they they want that kind of you know they just want to be published so bad they're willing to pay for it and unfortunately it ends up screwing them patrick you're such a busy man when do you even find time for your blood of warlock oh, um <laughs> right now i haven't been i actually finally after years and years and years of playing warcraft all the time um <laughs> i've just gotten to the point where i've got so many books in progress that i suspended my account for a little while to take a break so But we're almost at the end, and then I'll renew my <laughs> subscription and get back to it. So, but I've been playing Warcraft since it came out, and uh, my daughter was the uh, number seven hunter on her server for years. Um, <laughs> but I taught her; she would sit in my lap and um, play. And then when our son came along, I, he would sit and he would just—he just wanted to uh, run around and jump. So I'd put him in the chair and he'd run around in circles for hours and the other players are probably like, what the hell is that guy doing? But, you know, so, um, that was so him. Been oh. kind of a family game. Yeah, that was him. I remember that guy. And, uh, you know, so, you know, um, my wife and our daughter play. And so a lot of times we would play together. Our son went to Final Fantasy. He's the traitor. Oh. Um, so he plays Final Fantasy. So we all are big MMO players. But lately, it's just been like, I got too much other stuff to do. Oh. So I tend to play Hearthstone because it's 10 minutes and I can get back to writing. Patrick, where can the listeners find you and your box? Um, so the easiest place to find me is search Linktree uh, and slash Patrick, Patrick Dugan. Um, And that has all my social media links. But all my books are on Amazon. Um, Darkest Storm and uh, Fate and Flux are on Audible. And the same narrator who did Fate and Flux is doing the other three books this summer for um, on Audible. So they'll be on audio here probably in the next six months or so. You know, but Amazon's the easiest place to find all my books. And I will have, we're doing a Kickstarter in January for a new series of books the new urban fantasy series so that should be interesting too and the next releases are already planned yep uh so uh the watchers of Asteria is already out or actually i take that back it comes out tomorrow um it's the compilation of the three books of cogs and conjuring pistols and potions and machines and monsters in a um one book set with the world map and some cool stuff in it and then on The 20th, I think it is, Ashen Orb, which is the first book in the Shadow Blades series, will drop 22nd. It'll drop. So that's my Sword and Sorcery novellas. So they will be out on the. So pre order should be going up here in the next couple days, and then it'll be out on the 22nd. So in that thought, that's um, Sword and Sorcery books. It's uh, Cowboy Bebop meets The Witcher. Patrick, thank you so much for your time. It was a real well, joy so. talking to you today. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I really enjoyed our conversation. So thank you so much for having me on the show. Yeah. And thank you for taking the time to do this. And 
I wish you all the luck and success with your upcoming books. Oh, thank you. This is a great format, so I'm really glad to see it's doing well. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Elric Talks. You can find all the links to the socials and the books that we talked about in this episode's description. New episodes are coming out every Friday. For more information about upcoming episodes, head over to elric-talks.com. That's elric-talks.com for more information about upcoming episodes. Thank you again for listening and see you next time.